Welcome in to another episode of We're Talking Tonight, Craig Malawson, Colin Lacey of the Georgia Southern Sports Network, Dane Reed of the Georgia Southern Sports Network, and the one and only Mr. Jay Walker from Raging Cajun Sports Properties, the voice of the Cajuns. So, Colin, how are you tonight? I'm fantastic, Craig. Good deal, Danny. Craig, thank you very much for having us. Hey, man. We're live in studio. Oh, I'm sorry, Jay, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. Thanks for cooking dinner. Hey, Jay missed the game this weekend, so we're kind of putting him on pause. So He saw both wins, though. Oh, I did. So we can blame that on Stevie P. Yes. Is what you're saying. Yes. Okay. Or you can blame it on me for not being there. Okay. Uh, guys, I don't have it up like I normally do, and I did not hear the scores. But let's go a little bit around the Sun Belt. We'll start with you, Danny. Uh, what, 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 what three games either surprise you or interest you the most? You know, I want to say South Alabama losing all three at Georgia State, but I was leaning more towards Little Rock going to Troy and taking the final two games of that series to win it two games to one. And Georgia State's a lot better this year. They're 18 and 10 now. They've got the league's top two home run hitters with Ryerson and Chaney. Chaney's probably the player of the year at this point, batting close to 450 this deep in the season. But for me, they've shown that they're an improved team. Little Rock really hasn't yet. And for them to go to Troy, a place where Troy hits the ball extremely well, and for them to win the final two games after Troy walked off in game one, to me, for Chris Curry's squad, that was a really impressive thing. Jay? Well, I agree with everything Danny said. All right, we can stop the recording then. But although um, I, I, I was – look, Georgia State winning three, yes, they're an improved team. They swept South Alabama, yeah. okay? Now, that's a good ball club. We saw them recently. So that's the surprise for me. Um, really, I don't know that anything else in the league – I mean, Texas State going to App and winning three, not a big surprise. Arkansas State dropping three, not a big surprise. UTA taking two out of three. Not a big surprise. But South Alabama losing all three, that's a surprise. Colin, anything different or anything you want to add? Yeah, I'm kind of with Jay. I thought that after South Alabama dropped two out of three here in Louisiana, that they would be a little ticked off going to Atlanta to try to take some of frustration out. So it'll be interesting to see how South Alabama comes back from two weekends that they probably feel like they should have won, but have dropped both of them and have dropped five of the last six in conference play. It'll be interesting to see what they've got coming up next week. Texas State goes to App State. No surprise there, but at the same time, it's Texas State. I mean, I think they're the real deal. Colin, we'll start with you. Well, I, I want to turn to Danny because every time we get through with a series, we start talking about what happened around Sunbelt play, especially if we're driving back from somewhere. And Danny hasn't bought into... Texas State yet. Have you bought in yet? I'm used to them playing well at points, but then not living up to it. I think back to 2019. They win their first league championship since they were in the Southland back in 2011. They go to Conway, and I still think that they were the best team in the regular season that year, but they go 2-Q. and Q. And those two losses weren't that close. They got dominated by Trey Jeans for ULM, and then they played Coastal. That was walking into a hornet's nest. I know they're the chickens, but they walked into a hornet's nest. That was a game they were not going to win. I'm not accustomed to them actually living up to preseason expectations because last year they were picked as the best team and they flatlined. They were the worst team in the league. They lost both their games in pool play. But 
it seems like they are for real. And Georgia Southern has to go to San Marcos next weekend after a midweek game on Wednesday at home against Kennesaw. It seems like they've got their rotation set. They've got the league's best reliever in Tristan Stivers. He leads the league in saves. But that lineup just appears like they have shaken off everything that's gone wrong over the last two seasons. And they feel like that they are the best team in this league so far. Jay, Texas State? Yeah, I can't, I can't argue with that. You know, Texas State... The first weekend they went to A-State, won three. Two of them were by one run. And I went, well, I don't know about that. And then they come home. Uh, they beat Coastal Carolina, two out of three. Now you go up to App, you win three there. You're going to have Georgia Southern next week, but you get them in San Marcos. I want to see what Texas State does when they go on the road and play a decent team. Now, they got Coastal at home. They get Georgia Southern at home. They get Louisiana at home. So, you know, I don't even know. I don't even know where they're going. Where they're going to play a decent team, but they're, um, you know, Stivers. Stivers is the real deal at the back end, and they're. Uh, I mean, look, their team ERA last time I checked was barely three. So that they can pitch, they can hit, they can they can pick it and throw it. I think they're a complete ball club. And the ah. thing that surprises me about Texas State a little bit. They've got a confidence and a swagger about them that Texas State hasn't really had since Georgia Southern joined the league, at least. And a little bit of being able to see them. You've got Stivers at the back end of the bullpen, and he's known for his antics and whatever at the end of games. But there's a swagger, there's a confidence, there's an aura around this Texas State team that I don't know that they've had the last few years. I think they've been impressive. Uh, and I, I think... In my opinion, I think that the, the conference tournament, which is a shame because, as we know in baseball, you can have a bad game or a bad two games. It's not, it's not the, the uh, MLB playoffs where, you, you know, it's two out of three or three out of five or five out of seven. It's baseball and anything can happen in one game. Well, that's true. Um, you know, and it's not every year that the team that wins the regular season also wins the tournament. In fact, more often than not, that's not the case. So we'll see. So, UTA. Uh, gosh, I should have looked up. I should have pulled up some stats on. Or who? Who did they play? ULM. ULM. Five to two. Five to two. And I think the last one was five to two. Is that a powder puff game there? That's what I kind of called it at the beginning. <laughs> I think. I mean, it was it was the pillow fight. And, and don't get me wrong. I think both teams are are capable of playing well at times. But, but neither team has showed consistency. I'll, I'll tell you. I think ULM is a much better ball club than what they've been. I think that it's going to be really hard, I think, for anybody to sweep them. They, I, I think they're good enough to where it, I don't see them turning around and going 0-3 a bunch of times this year. Um, they've got, it looks like they've got a couple of guys who can pitch. That's been their issue since Federico got there. He, that's the part of ULM's team that, they, that he hadn't been able to get a whole lot better. They've swung the bat better but they haven't really pitched better, but now they're starting to pitch a little bit. I uh, I don't think they're more than a middle-of-the-pack team. But, but they can do damage to somebody. And, oh, absolutely. And, uh, and I don't know which one it was there to, to hit the mute button on us because it's probably going to go through every microphone in here anyway because, as I told Dan the story earlier, I'm interviewing Russ Eisenstein here. It starts raining in the tin roof. I mean, you could just hear it all. I'm going like, okay, there's nothing we can do. Russ has got to be somewhere. It's just a soothing background noise. It gotcha. is, you know. Soothing. soothing. So, but uh, 
Colin, ULM, uh, UTA. I think UTA, like Jay said, is really well improved. And I think the biggest thing, yes, you have the pitching, but I think you've got a little bit deeper of a lineup than you've seen from ULM the last few years. You've known that two and three spot in the or the three and four spot in the order is going to be some good hitters for ULM. And I think since Federico's gotten there, you've seen more of that throughout the entire of the lineup. You've not just worried about the two three hitters or the three four hitters. Once you get past that, you're good the rest of the way. I think now you have to really work to all nine hitters in that lineup for ULM, and I think that's the biggest change for Federico, not just this year, but since he's gotten to Monroe. Danny, ULM, UTA, your thoughts? I actually picked ULM to win that series on the road. I thought it was going to be pretty close. It came down to the rubber, but credit to UTA for backing up home field. What is so tough to gauge about the Mavericks, they've got some guys back on their pitching staff, but I think we talked about it on a previous episode. Tanner King, who was one of the better relievers in the league last year, is now their Friday starter. David Moffitt, who was their number three starter, is now closing for them. And you can look up and down their stat sheet offensively. The only name I recognize is Boone Montgomery, and he's not even playing that much anymore. It is so many new names, so it's hard to figure out exactly who they are on offense. I mean, typically those Darren Thomas teams don't strike out a lot. They don't walk a lot, but they always seem to put the ball in play. They put pressure on the defense by not giving you outs. But with so many new guys that we haven't seen up close and personal yet, it's hard to really figure out what kind of team they are until you actually get a series against them. I'm, I'm going to go back to it later on, so, so if I forget, which I probably will, somebody please remind me. I know Danny's got a mind like a steel trap. So do I. Nothing gets in or out, though, unfortunately. <laughs> but I want to go back to the, the the guys that were relievers that are starters because I think I'm just curious. Are we seeing this more? I don't want to talk about it now, but I want to talk about it later on because I want to continue with the games. Uh, Coastal Carolina. I, I, those were two games that finished after us both days, and it was an opportunity for Arkansas uh, Arkansas State to come back in both of them. Thursday night. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, Saturday night. They wild pitch a guy in in the the fifth, sixth, and seventh inning to t- take the lead, and Arkansas State comes back. But it's our, I'm going to go to you first, Jay, because that's who we play next weekend as Cajuns in Arkansas State. That team scares me now, 0-9. Well, you know, if you look, they're scoring runs, okay? They are scoring runs. They are not keeping the other team from scoring runs. That pitching staff has had a lot of injuries, um, you know, last year before the season even started, Tommy Raffo lost his two best arms. And Arkansas State's issue last year and again this year is they've not been good on the bump at all. And so if you have a night where you're not squaring the ball up, you might be in some trouble because they're going to score some runs. They, you know, nobody is holding that team down a whole bunch. And, you know, they... Uh, what, they scored like, what, uh, 10 today or, or whatever it was? But the other team scored 16. I mean, it, it, they just can't <laughs> keep people from scoring. And uh, But they are a dangerous team because they can swing it. So, yeah, they scored 16. I think six of those were in the, in, in, in the, the top of the ninth. Yeah. So, Colin, your thoughts on Arkansas State and the Coastal? Arkansas State more so. I want to go back to Coastal in a second. We just saw... Arkansas State and Statesboro last week, and the starters for Arkansas State will keep them in ball games, and that's where we talked about it a little while ago with Texas State. Arkansas State had leads against Texas State in two of those three games going into the back half of the game. 
But that bullpen for Arkansas State has a lot of holes. And when Georgia Southern saw them, they didn't have their closer Wiseman, and so they had even more holes. The starters will keep them in games, and we saw it in Georgia Southern series how little confidence that Tommy Raffo has in his bullpen. You look at Georgia Southern probably snuck away with two of the three. Arkansas State feels like they probably should have taken two out of three in Statesboro, but Georgia Southern ends up sweeping, and it was all because of the bullpen. The bullpen let Arkansas State down. They've got a good lineup. Jay, next weekend when you go to Jonesboro, I know Danny and I talked about it, you're going to love Dave McHale, the second baseman for Arkansas State, a fantastic player at the top of their lineup, but the bullpen, they've got to figure out something quick if they're going to. From a, from a standpoint of defense, Kale is an outstanding hitter, but they've got another true freshman at shortstop and Will French. Their middle infielders from last year are on the roster, and they're not playing anymore. They are backup guys now to show you the kind of talent that Tommy Raffo has brought in. Jared Toller has really emerged at first. He's hitting with a lot more power. Their whole weekend rotation is back, but only one guy is still in the rotation. That's Will Nash. He's still in that number two spot. Brandon Hudson's coming out of the bullpen. Will Nash has been hampered by a finger injury, so he's missed a couple of starts. They moved Medlin into that Friday role. He is solid enough to probably get you five or six innings, but unless they've got a sizable lead, that bullpen doesn't make it feel comfortable. And then with Frederick, another soft-tossing lefty for Game 3, you basically have to bank on them out-slugging teams on, on Sundays or Game 3s or whatever to at least give themselves a chance to get a win because it hasn't been a chance where they've been able to win a rubber game because they've tried to salvage all three of their finales. But I do like the lineup. Jalen DeShazer is someone we have seen for five years now. They can hit enough to be there. They can start a game well enough to be in it. But unless they can find some consistency with those arms, I know Wiseman came back. He actually pitched today and that lost to Coastal. But unless they can find some kind of consistency and role identification with those guys, those wins are going to be tough to come by despite as well as they can swing it. On the other side of that, that game, Coastal Carolina, to me, I, I, I know they won all three games. And I'm not going to say disappointing, but it's, it's, it's Coastal Carolina. I'm going to go straight to you, Danny, first. Have they lost their shine? I mean, as far as that national championship run and everything, they don't seem to be, you would think, coming into the Sun Belt from a national championship. Now, they played well, don't get me wrong, but there hasn't been that. With, yeah. all, with all due respect, I don't think that's a standard that they're going to be able to keep year oh, in and year out. Look, Gary Gilmore has had a fantastic program for three decades. They've won 50 games multiple times, but to get to Omaha to win the College World Series as a Big South team, that's unheard of. And that was their final day in the Big South, and that's been six years ago already. So, yeah, the luster was gradually going to wear and wear off, and they've been successful in this league. They've won a couple of tournament championships. They've won a couple of regular season championships. They've had some success, but I think COVID knocked them off a little bit, and you've also got to remember Coach Gilmore has gone through some health issues. He's been yeah. battling cancer for about two years now. He's been in and out, and they've had some changes with their coaching staff as well. Jason Beverlin, a former Georgia Southern assistant, is now their pitching coach. I think their starters have been a lot better lately with Parker and Van Scoder. They've been really good the last couple of weekends. Eric Brown's the preseason player of the year. Seems like he's rounding into form a little bit. Austin White is somebody that we're going to get a chance to see here in a couple of weeks. They're always going to be able to score by nature of playing two-thirds of their games in the band box where anything you hit in the air has a chance to go. If they can pitch a little bit, 
they have a chance to easily win 35 and probably be one of the better teams in this league again. But don't you think that's been their problem really the last three years or so? They've swung the bat well. Yeah. They've continued to score runs. But their pitching staff has not been real good the last couple of years. Yeah, they had they had bullpen issues last year and the year before. And if you look what they're doing so far this year, you're right. They got a couple of guys at the at the front end who are, who are pretty salty, but their bullpen still is a little bit shaky. Uh, I think they're better than they were a year ago, but I don't think they're 19, uh, 2017, 2018, 2019 good. No, I wouldn't say that either. And and so you know, and right about the time, you know, they said, well, you know, they won one and one against ULM, and then they lost two out of three at Texas State, and right about the time you say, yeah, they're probably a middle of the pack team, then they go, you know, score sixteen runs at Clemson and and uh, and and tear them up. So it, it's they swing it well. Um, I, I'm still I'm still not sold on their pitching staff though. You talk about they've got a couple of guys on the front end of that pitching staff, and they've had that the last couple of years like you talked about, but where they've run into trouble is toward the tail end of the regular season and into the tournament where the starters that have gone well have had to go more than they wanted to, and then by the time they get to the end of the season, that's when you start to see them fall off the cliff, and that's where Costa really falls apart towards the tail end of the regular season and into the tournament because you can't sustain the amount of innings that those guys have had to pitch just because the bullpen hasn't been there for the Sean Clears. Now, I guess that's, and I'm not trying to take anything away from them. I realize how hard it is to get to Omaha. The Cajuns did it in 2000. It's 22 years later. I understand that completely. I wasn't trying to be disrespectful in that sense. But it, it, in the, at the same time, they continue to be picked at the top of the league. And I guess they've been in those top four teams, but I haven't seen what I expected, I guess. And I think, Jay, you put this pretty well on our podcast on Monday when we talked that there's essentially in the Sun Belt, there's two six-team leagues. There's the Louisianas, the Georgia Southerns, the Troys, the Texas State, the ULMs, the, and the Coastal Carolina. Those are the teams that are going to be fighting for the top of the league, and those are the ones that when those six teams match up, those are going to be heck of a series. We saw that this weekend between Georgia Southern and Louisiana. So Coastal Carolina is one of those top six teams, but I don't know that they're the ones that are running this league like they were the first couple of years they were here. No, I don't think they are. And, you know, we said, we talked about, you know, the haves and the have-nots in the Sun Belt. And, look, one of the have-nots is, you know, a game out of first place yeah. <laughs> uh, in, in Georgia State. So, um I, there's there's lots of baseball yet to be played here, and uh, but but you're right when the when the when the good teams play each other, that's when it's going to get separated because I, I really think the best teams in the league are going to beat up the worst teams in the league. Um, but when you know you're going to you're going to go to Texas State next weekend, um, and the, but there are still the second half of the year, there are a lot of good series coming down the pike. And I think that's what we saw uh, on record-wise. We saw a lot of the haves playing the have-nots this weekend, except for the Georgia State-South Alabama series. Everybody else was kind of at the top of the standings, at the bottom of the standings. And um, 
like I said, I did not pay enough attention to the to it this weekend. Usually, Danny and I record on Monday mornings. I've had a chance to go over the standings and look at everything. So, but uh, I know Danny and Jay and Colin, all three of y'all, follow everything. So, uh, I, we we talked about South Alabama being swept by Georgia State. I had a question for the two of you. Since they are in Georgia, do you pay any more attention to them, or are you guys Sunbelt lookers? I mean, I mean, I get I'm, as a question: Do you get any more information? Because I mean, do you receive stuff from Atlanta on your? I'm I'm just asking. I don't I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't pay attention to ULM. It's not so much that they're in Atlanta; it's just the fact that they're another team in the league. And look, baseball-wise, people want to associate Georgia Southern and Georgia State as big rivals and everything, right. which is fine. The rival is Appalachian State primarily, and that's something that I think a lot of programs in this league are coming to understand. And look, there's some strong dislike between the Eagles and the Panthers. Baseball-wise, for the most part, it is a series that has been owned by Georgia Southern. They did take a series from the Eagles in 17. They actually won two of three from the Eagles up in Panthersville last year. That put Georgia Southern at 500 at 13 and 13 right around this time of the year. And that's when Georgia Southern took off. They won their next eight games. They ended up with 34 victories. So that probably adds a little bit more to it. But I wouldn't say that the Eagles know more about Georgia State just because they're in the same state. Do you follow them anymore, Colin, than, than, they, than you would another team, I guess? I do, just for the sheer fact that... You're hoping they lose and you can... <laughs> <laughs> that used to be what it was. But no, the last few years, ever since Brad Stromdahl got to Atlanta, I've known Brad for the last couple of years, being with the Sunbelt Summer League. He was heavily involved with that league. And so I, as a person, Brad Stromdahl is one of the best people. I was happy to see him get that job. I'm not happy about him wearing those colors. But he is a great baseball mind to... It pains me to say this about Georgia State. He's going to turn that program around into a program that's in that top six that we talked about just a few minutes ago. But this is a Georgia State team that's heavily improved, but it's going to be, I think it's going to take him another year maybe to get to where he wants to be, but it's sooner rather than later for the Panthers. Did he put that schedule together last year, or was that somebody else? No, that's he said, hey, I got this schedule, I'm going to quit That was now. not a parting gift. No, he put that together, and a lot of it was because it's his first year. He had a lot of guys that he had to figure out how tough they were, and he figured out how tough a couple of them were, and they're not there anymore. Yeah. And so you saw them go through a lot last year, and I think if you added it up, they were like fifth in the SEC last year, and so it was by games played. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a tough schedule. It's a lot lighter this year, but they still got a couple of really good series. It, but I'm telling you, that's a program to watch out for the next few years. And I'm, that pains me to say wearing navy blue, but no, I, I agree with you there. Now, is he the one who got the tree cut down so you can see down the right field side there? No, he is the one that will pull the tarp though. Okay. Okay. Well, um, i tell you what, guys, uh, anything else that y'all want to talk about around the Sunbelt besides the series that we played this weekend, we're going to come back and talk about that. But any other team you want to talk about, uh, and then we'll get into what I want to, after we talk about the, the, the Cajuns and the Eagles this weekend, we'll get into about relievers becoming starters, and also I want to talk about uh, the Sunbelt shortstops this year, which I find very impressive. Anything else you want to say about this weekend's games? All right. We'll be right back after this year. Listen to We're Talking, Craig Malosa on Danny Reed, Colin Lacey, 
Jay Walker. We'll be right back at back after the short intervention. And yes, we've been drinking. Short intervention? Yeah, it's gotta be an intervention. I don't know. Welcome back into We're Talking Tonight. Colin Lace and Danny Reed from the Georgia Southern Sports Network and Jay Walker, Voice of the Cajuns. Guys, uh, one of the things that we do on the podcast a lot with Jay and I, everybody wondering, wonders, what are you drinking tonight? So I feel obligated to our listeners, all 12 of them. <laughs> I'm joking. There's more like 14. But besides the point, uh, what, what, what are you guys sipping on tonight, Jay? Um, sipping on a little Weller Antique. Which Danny? is 107 proof. Oh, yes. Danny, I didn't see what you poured. I was setting uh, up the, the... I think we've got the Weller Special Reserve. Okay. Colin? Which is always a classic. I've got one of the two. I can't remember which one it was. I think it was the Weller Special Reserve, and yes. I started with that, but I noticed your, your glass is empty. Oh. And well, uh, I don't Very want to... observant of you. Well, you know, hey, you know, that that's why I'm in the driver's seat. So, all right. The most majority of our listeners, Cajuns Eagles this weekend. Uh, three good ball games, and we talked about this, I believe, off the air. We might have talked about it all on the air, but it, 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 the games against South Alabama and Georgia Southern for the Cajuns, we could have gone zero and six. We could have went six and zero. We could have went three and three. What did you see, Jay? You were only here for two of them, the two victories. So we'll blame Stevie P for the loss. What did you see? In, at, at, any one of the, what do the, you want? the thing, and I'm taking the series as a congregate. All right, you know, Georgia Southern came in. They've swung the bat pretty well this year. The first six guys in the lineup, I think, are, are, are pretty representative when you get right down to it. Um, but the Cajun start, starters, through the first five innings of the three games, gave up a grand total of two runs. And the fact that all three starters got the team off to a good start was the thing that I took away from that because that's really the first time that it's happened all season long. In the other series, you've had one guy who's who struggled. Um, and none of those guys struggled. I mean, Tally gave him right at six innings, and, and, and he was great. We know how great Schultz was for, for seven. And, and Wilson today, uh, you know, had a string. You know, he gives up a home run, then he retires 11 in a row. I, I was... The starting pitching, I think, is what won that series for the Cajuns, and um, that was good to see as far as the rest of the season is concerned, if they can get consistent with that. Danny, your guys, I mean, were, were good as well because I really thought you went deep all three days. It wasn't one of those that, that pitchers were changing, being changed down the third inning. I like the fact that we played baseball this weekend. You know, <laughs> I mean, I know, I know, I know there was some issues. I mean, some things happen. There's some errors and things like that. But I like the fact that the starting pitchers go go a little bit longer in the game. But what from the Georgia Southern side, what did you see there? To speak to your point with Georgia Southern, they have found their one and two starters. Jalen Payton has locked down the one. Ty Fisher was the opening night starter but is now in that two spot. Since coming back from injury, he's given up one earned run in more than 20 innings. He's been really, really good working with good pace and using all four of his pitches. And then game three has been a little bit of Ben Johnson typically, but it was Danny Madden in game three, and he got 11 outs. I don't know how many that they were expecting him to get, but I thought he was pretty solid, got that double play, and also got out of a second and third no-out jam in that fourth inning. What really took me by surprise is that Georgia Southern's defense, for the first time all year, struggled. 
They came into the weekend number one in fielding percentage. They committed five errors over those first two games. Now, granted, they were errorless on Sunday. They just didn't get enough hits. And another thing that really surprised me was Georgia Southern's lack of two-out hitting. They're two for their last 30 with two outs, and that spans the entire week. Go back to the loss against Georgia on Tuesday. This is a team that has really been good with two outs collectively for much of the season, scoring about half of their runs after two outs. But you've got a leadoff guy in Jesse Sherrill that's been mired in a bit of a funk. Noah Ledford's been hit or miss, even though he did hit that decisive home run in game two, which got the Eagles right back into it. Christian Avant had been swinging it well, but he didn't have a great series. Jared Brown went hitless for two of the three games, tried to mix and match the order a little bit with Noah Searcy out of the starting lineup, even though he did pinch hit in Game 3. And I think that Georgia Southern, for the first time in a little more than a month, finally took a punch. Because they had won 15 of their last 17 games. They lost to Georgia. They lost to App. But they had been really consistent offensively, defensively. And despite all the moving parts with the pitching staff, the bullpen had a really consistent stretch where they were getting outs and finishing games. They had a lot of problem doing that this week outside of Ben Johnson. And even in Game 3, had an Austin Thompson home run to go up one nothing in the fifth inning, but the bullpen just did not get it done. And the Cajuns found a way to swing the bid back in those middle innings, and that's why they took the series. I'll tell you, I think, you know, when it comes to what I saw out of Georgia Southern's bullpen today, you got some guys that you brought in with some velo. Yeah. But you better have more than that. And Ray couldn't spot his breaking ball, and the Cajuns just sat on the fastball. And I don't care if you throw 93, 95, 97, the Cajuns are going to hit the fastball. And that was the first time since Tennessee that he hadn't done that. And and uh, when when he came in, the Cajuns just barreled up everything yeah. uh, while he was in the game. And, uh, you know, they they got the Marshock home run uh, in one inning, and then the, the next inning... You know, Matt Deggs gives Julian Brock, who was like one for his last 16, uh, he gives him a green light on a 3-0, and he, and he, he goes oppo 360 feet. So uh, I think that that was the problem I saw with Georgia Southern. The bullpen had problems with the breaking ball today, and if you, and if you bring that to the table against the Cajuns, you're going to lose. Colin, I know we all, we all look at – we all see the same game, but do we – we all look, watch the same game, but we always don't see the same game. What did you see from there on, on the three games this weekend? The biggest thing that I take away, and it's something that's not really a surprise between these two, that Coach Hennett said it before we started on Friday, that if you're going to win this league, you have to go through Louisiana. There's a couple of teams that if you're going to win the Sun Belt, you have to go through. Louisiana is by far one of those. And the three games this weekend were really good college baseball games. And... It stinks for Georgia Southern to have dropped two out of three, but those were three games that I think down the road in the backstretch of Sunbelt play and going into the conference tournament, that better prepares both teams to be able to handle that later on this season. And I think you look at somebody like Ty Fisher, Danny mentioned only giving up one earned run since he returned after taking the line drive off the face against UCF. He hasn't really been put in a whole lot of adversity his last two starts against Appalachian State and Arkansas State. It was really good to see him struggle a little bit in the first inning and then be able to power through it and get through it. He ends up going deep into the ballgame for Georgia Southern when in the first inning you're like, hmm, 
is Georgia Southern going to have to go to the bullpen early? Yeah. But he settled down, powered through it, and that was really good to see for Georgia Southern. And that's what the starters have done for the Eagles so far at, on Friday and Saturday. I think Fisher, the, the, the inning where the Cajuns had the bases loaded, nobody out, and all they got was a sack fly. I thought that was the turning point in the game for yeah. Fisher and for the Eagles. You know, they, Because, look, you, you go ahead, you hit one up the gap there, and, and then Ledford's home run isn't going to mean anything. Yeah. Uh, so I thought Fisher did a great job getting out of that inning with just one run. And you, it was like you could just see him elevate after that. And, that, and good, good on him because uh, he, was, he was in trouble. And he got out of it. He was the primary guy a year ago at Tennessee Tech. But even so, his numbers, he was barely a four-and-a-half ERA last year. And that's somebody that made 13 starts. He got off to a decent start this year before the injury. It was a 105-mile-per-hour line drive that gave him multiple facial fractures. We didn't know if we were going to see him again this year. We didn't know if he was going to have to wear a face mask. But like we talked about with Coach Hennon, he was in the dugout the very next night in full uniform. Went to the hospital. He got examined. He was in the dugout the very next night. Those guys rallied around him. They couldn't wait for him to make his return. He did so against App. Great up in Boone. Great against Arkansas State. Willed his way into the eighth inning in game two of this series. It's nice to know that your best starter is probably in your number two role because regardless of what you did in game one, whether you won or lost, you either get a chance to even a series or win a series with your best guy in game two. You know, you look at his number seven innings pitched, one earned run, only walked one, struck out four. It's a winning combination. The problem was, there, you know, there were three runs, only one of them earned, but it was the three errors. Yeah. So, but he gave your team an opportunity, and that's what, and, and Jay, um, I know we've talked about it with you guys, so I'm not going to, uh, but, but Coach Robe used to talk about giving your team opportunities, being able to get there and doing those things, and that's what today... With Wilson giving up the one home the the home run, which was a, a solo shot, you you don't do that with two guys on base or three guys on base. So you gave your team the opportunity to win. So I thought uh, I thought Wilson was superb today, um, and I was really impressed with Toit in the ninth inning, coming in and striking out the side. Um, but the this was a good series, and I'm 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 with you, Colin. I. That was good baseball, okay? We saw good baseball when South Alabama came to town. And we saw good baseball when the Cajuns played Southern Miss and when they played UC Irvine. All of those things, I I think, are going to help the Cajuns down the road because they've been in a lot of tight ball games. And, you know, it's great when you can go out and bludgeon somebody. That's, That's wonderful. But a lot of times you don't learn a whole lot from that. And, you know... Craig just quoted Coach Rope, and I'm going to do the same thing. During the course of the season, it's okay to get cut. Yeah. Because you learn how to sew yourself back up. If you wind up being a free bleeder because you never got cut, and then maybe it's too late at the end. So, you know, I I think both teams got cut this weekend, and I think both teams did a pretty good job of sewing themselves up, and we'll see if that helps them down the road. The other thing I take from this series, and we've talked about the defensive struggles for Georgia Southern with the numerous errors on the weekend, and there was a couple of miscues on the Cajun side, especially on Saturday, but there was a lot of really good defensive plays in this series. You think of a couple on the Georgia Southern side, Austin Thompson, the diving catch early in the game on Sunday 
to save what was the tie game at the time. You think of a couple of different double plays that the Cajuns were able to turn on Saturday and Sunday to keep it where it was. A lot of really good defensive plays, too. There were 10 double plays turned in that series. Yeah. I mean, that there were there was some leather being flashed, and I thought the, there were a couple of plays today um, by the Cajuns. One of them was Rinconis going to his left, making the dive, and, and, and throwing from his knees and, and getting a guy by a step, and... Look, there were some there were some shots. Uh, the one that Thompson caught, yeah, uh, and that was the second and third. Nobody out, and the yeah. car- the Cajuns barreled up three balls and got nothing to show for it because Georgia Southern played great defense. Um, I like uh, I, I like Georgia Southern's defense. I really do. I, you know, I've always been impressed with Thompson. Um, you know, Cheryl is is a new guy, and and but he's looked good. Uh, so I and and I, I like the outfield. I like the outfield a lot, as a matter of fact, when it comes to, to running down balls. So there was a there was a lot of good. De- yeah, there were a few errors, but there was a lot of good defensive plays made throughout the course of that series. We made the comment that the double that was hit in that fourth inning. I was very surprised that Robertson didn't score on that. I thought he was easily going to come in. It was second and third, nobody out, but. It, and the other side of your mind, you got the middle of the order coming up with nobody out. So you're thinking, okay, you're going to get at least one, probably two out of that. But somehow Madden slash Ray end up with no runs allowed. And I'm thinking, okay, if that double doesn't score and this inning ends up as a zero, that could be a turning point. And Thompson hits the home run right after that, right after he made the catch. And I thought, okay, that's that's a pretty big statement from a fifth-year guy. Maybe this is what Georgia Southern needed. They just couldn't do any more than that. They couldn't get anybody else on base. They just couldn't get anything else going. Well, you know, they in the bottom of that inning, and, and I'm going to go back to Rinconis. Rinconis gets an RBI single. Here's, here's a guy that, that wasn't playing much early in the year. Started to hit the ball, got shelled for a week because of tendonitis, but he got a big hit, and then Marshak comes up next and hits one out the ballpark. Yeah. And so, but Rinconis kept things alive to where Marshak could be a hero and give the Cajuns a lead they wouldn't give up. You know, it's interesting you bring up the the uh, Robinson, and I believe Brad talked about that on air though that if if it kind of looked like that if Coach Deggs like one like damn I should have sent him. Yep, and and but at the same time you don't want to be thrown out of the plate. I, I I'll tell you though, uh, your guys' defense from the outfield, especially your left fielder, has got an arm that I that is. It, we've got some good arms, but that guy's got a good arm too. It all it all goes back to Parker Beadier, the way that he has settled in since 2020. Only played 16 games that year, and the thing that we kept hearing about him was. If he can hit a little bit, it's found money. He's going to play defense. We speak about Logan Baldwin all the time being maybe the best defensive center fielder that's ever played in Statesboro. He could get to balls that a lot of people couldn't because of his speed. Beatier gets better jumps because he has such a keen sense of how to read the ball off the bat. He's not as fast as Baldwin, gets much better jumps, so he can get to balls that Baldwin can't just because of how he sees the game. He's also been able to hit a lot better. He was fifth in the league in average last year. He's starting to get it going a little bit. Him being as good as he is, gap to gap, makes Avant that much better of a right fielder. And whether it's Fatota or Cersei, Blancata, whoever it is in left, he sets the tone in that entire outfield. And Christian Avant's the guy in right field for Georgia Southern that's really surprised a lot of people. He came into Statesboro as a catcher. 
Really? He was a backup catcher for Georgia Southern his first year. And then it was like, okay, we're going to try Avent in right field. And he's become one of the better right fielders defensively in the league. He had a diving play on Friday night, I think it was, against the Cajuns. And he is somebody that has gotten really good at that first step that Danny talked about with Beatier. He's got a hose, too. Yeah, he does. Yeah. And he he's figured out how to use his arm. Last year you saw more outfield assists, but you also saw more shots that he probably shouldn't have taken. This year he's become a lot smarter of what shots do you take, what shots do you kind of keep in the holster to be able to keep somebody from going from first to second to set up the inning a lot better. I like the fact that he's got an, he's got a very strong arm and he's very accurate. The cat can play is all I'm telling you. It, it, it's it's awesome. So, um, lastly, before we, we we're going to take another break and come back, and I want to talk a little about relievers and starting pitching, and then and talking about shortstop play in the Sun Belt. But at the same time, before we go to that, Georgia Southern and the Cajuns. Cajuns won the first series in 2016. We haven't played a series since 2018, and we don't know what's going to happen next year with the new teams coming. This is a series that is fun. Yeah. I enjoyed going to Statesboro, not only for basketball, but for baseball as well. <laughs> it, no, it's not. I enjoy because part of it is I get to see you guys, but at the same time, it's, it's baseball. The way it should be played. Well, I and, and I agree with that. You know, if you look back on the games that we've played with each other since we've been in the league, there haven't been too many blowouts. Most of the games have been close. Most of the time, you've seen a lot of good pitching and defense and timely hitting, which which I think we all like to watch as just personally. Um, and you know, Georgia Southern had gotten the best of the Cajuns lately. Um, the Cajuns won the series this weekend, but it's always been good baseball. Yeah, and Except for 2017 when you kicked our ass—not kicked our ass, but beat us in the conference tournament in 10 or 11 innings. Well, the only problem with 2017 yeah. is is we found out that Statesboro weather can suck sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, that's the longest week of my life still to this day. I'm glad we can all laugh about it now because it wasn't funny that night. No, it was well, not. We may not see each other in a series next year, but we're probably going to see each other in the tournament this yeah. year. I mean, that's just oh, the way it seems to work out between the two teams. No, and, and true. And again, but I think there's a difference between a game or two in a in a week long tournament than there is for three days yeah. that you're playing there. And we talked about it earlier. This series means a lot to both teams. Because it's always good baseball. It always prepares you for later on in the conference tournament, later on in conference play. And I think it goes back to what these two programs are based on. Yeah, the baseball is great, but these two are programs. And there's a big difference between a good team and a good program. Both of these are good programs at its core. We've talked about it a lot with you, Jay. There's a lot of similarities between Rodney Hennon and what... Louisiana has built here in Cajun country with Tony Robichaux and now with Matt Degg continuing on the legacy. But there's a lot of similarities between Georgia Southern and Louisiana off the field as much as there is on the field. Yeah, there are. And and so I'm, you know, I, um, I'm i kind of like Craig. I, I don't want to get into this situation where, you know, now with 14 teams in the league and you're only going to play 30 games, are we going to go a couple, three years without seeing each other? I don't want that to happen. No, and it's very important i think for georgia southern because 
one, it gives you the opportunity to come down here, which I love because I get to see y'all and get to experience everything down here in Lafayette. But I think it's important this year for Georgia Southern because we've talked about it a lot. There's an opportunity for the Sun Belt to be a multi-bid league that not necessarily just the conference champion is going to be. If Georgia Southern, a lot still has to happen with baseball down the back stretch. But if Georgia Southern's able to get into a regional some way, somehow, this weekend is a big reason why. Because this is the best environment that Georgia Southern will see this year. Opened up the season at Tennessee, this is the best environment. Went to Georgia and Foley Field just this past week, this is the best environment that Georgia Southern will see this year. And I don't know that it's that close. And so you have to be able to... We're, you know, I, I hear that a lot. You know, I, I, you know, Irvine, that's not a home and home, okay? Yeah. We bought that because they wanted to come experience the environment. Right. Um, you know, Southern Miss, of course, they've got their own great environment, but they experienced a great environment here. Same thing with, uh, with South Alabama uh, and Houston. And um, we need to start charging people. You know, we, we, we need to start charging. Look, we're going to show you good atmosphere, and so you have to pay us extra. I, I think we ought to start charging. And that's not just trying to blow much, smoke to y'all, but yeah. that's what it is. No, it is what a good What was the proof on this? 107? Yeah. 109? 107. Okay. Uh, it's an antique. Uh, yes. It's all right, so am I. Danny, your thoughts, <laughs> Danny, your thoughts on the series. I don't think we, we, we've hit you up yet, but I, I know it's more, I know a lot of times it's more than just baseball with, with, with what the four of us do. But at the same time, you've, you've got to enjoy baseball. Regardless of whether these teams play in late May, early March, April, it feels like it's postseason baseball. There is so much pride that exists here and with the program in Statesboro, going back to Coach Polk, to Coach Stallings, now Coach Henham for the last 23 years. These are two programs that have had a lot of success in conference tournament baseball, Broke both programs, have been to Omaha. And that's not something you can say very much for teams at this classification. That is something you treasure. The memories from those will last an entire lifetime. That's why when the two meet, it always seems just a little bit more than 27 outs between the two. Georgia Southern has been to Omaha. Louisiana has been to Omaha. Coastal Carolina uh, has won a national championship. I think we're done. I yeah. think we're done talking about teams in the Sun Belt Conference that have experienced the College World Series at some point in time. Um, the Cajuns are the only one who've experienced it as a member of the Sun Belt Conference. Right. Um, but you're right. I mean, you know, and look, it doesn't matter when you go. Once you've been there, there's something about your program that people will look and they say, well, you know, they've been to Omaha. They've been to Omaha. It changes the perception it does. of the team, yeah. the conference, and everything. It really is a different... And not only that, it changes the expectations of the program itself. And I think it should. Because as the four of us sit around a table, being all baseball people, that means something. To be able to go to Omaha... That means something. And so once you've experienced, you're like, this is not that going to Omaha every year is going to be the standard for a team in the Sunbelt Conference, but 
it's not out of the question, if that makes sense. It's never out of the question to say, you know what, it might be an outside shot, but there's a shot. Well, you know, I, I, I really think, you know, you talk to to Matt Deggs or Tony Robichaux, and, and they would have said it, the goal is Omaha. The goal is Omaha. The goal is Omaha. And and you talk to Matt at the beginning of the season, he said, I'm planning on playing 70. And um, now, does it mean that they're going to be good enough to do that? No, but I think you got to go in with that attitude. Yeah. You have to go in with that attitude. You can't go in and say, gee, I hope we play 500 ball this year. <laughs> you know? Or, oh, gee, I hope we get into a regional even. I mean, it's a great accomplishment, don't get me wrong, but at the same time. You know, in this conference, with football, you've got a chance to go to one of the five bowl games. Every decade or two, you might be able to sniff a New Year's Six. Nobody's done it yet, but I think that as we add new teams and the profile of this football league continues to improve, that is going to be more of a possibility. It's still slim, but it's more of a possibility. Basketball, everybody wants a shot at March Madness, but it's still a minor miracle if you can even win one game, let alone multiple games, and earn more money for this league. Baseball is where you can really impact the national scope in this conference. It is proven it can be a player with multiple bids, multiple times. And I do think that this is the year that this league gets back to being a multi-bid league. I don't want to go there yet. I want to go in the next uh, on the multiple bids. But I think I agree with everything you said because South Alabama, I think, woke some people up last year getting into that. Not quite getting to the Super Regional, but they showed that. But they were the, they were the undefeated team going into the final. Yeah, but yeah. at the same time, they were hitting 210 as a team. Well, they had some had some pitchers. Well, and they, they had timely hitting. They they timely hit. You think? Yeah. I want to say what 60 percent of their <laughs> oh, RBIs yeah, I, were I, two outs. They've been the best of two out RBIs in this league for years. It's there just there you go. There you go. All right, all right. We we can we can take the break because I want to address this multi bid league. All right, we we can do that in here. Uh, you're listening. We're talking tonight. Craig Malas on Danny Reed, Colin Lacey, Jay Walker, uh, Weller Antique, and Weller. Special Reserve is your intervention tonight. Welcome back in tonight to We're Talking or tomorrow morning, whatever time you're listening to this. And uh, Colin Lacey, Danny Reed from the Georgia Southern Sports Network. Jay Walker, voice of the Cajuns. All right, I was going to say this for later on, but let's talk about it now. You you wanted to talk about it, so let's talk about. I'm not saying it's a foregone conclusion, but I think there is an opportunity. If this league continues, no, I, I agree with that. All right, there are there are a, f- a couple of things that's going to work in the Sun Belt's favor this year. In fact, three things. The Americans not very good, not by American standards. They're going to be a one bid league. Period. End of sentence. They don't have anybody who's like right there. Not in East Carolina like they had last year. Correct. No. Um, you've got. Conference USA, which was a four-bid league last year, which is looking more and more like a two-bid league this year. You've got the Big Ten, which has been a a four, five, sometimes six-bid league that is looking more like a two-bid league. And then you've got the Big West, which before the season started was projected to be a three-bid league, and it looks like they're only going to be a one-bid league. So there are at-large bids available. The problem you run into 
is you can't get cannibalized in this league by lesser teams. Troy and South Alabama might have played themselves right out of the possibility of an at-large bid this weekend. That's true. Because South Alabama's RPI is down to about 65, and Troy's is down to 70. So, when Georgia Southern, who has the best RPI in the league right now at 19, when Georgia Southern plays the bad teams in this league, they need to win. Because if you go and you lose to these teams especially if you lose at home. Your RPI takes a big hit. Look at Troy. Their RPI, I think, was up to 35 earlier in the week. It's down to 70 now after losing two out of three to Little Rock. So that's the thing that the teams that are good in this league, and right now, Georgia Southern, Texas State, and Louisiana are the top three as far as RPI. No, I'm sorry. Coastal Carolina and then Louisiana are the top four. Those teams, some of them, you know, you may beat up each other next weekend, Texas State and Georgia Southern. Well, if that happens, that's okay. But you can't do what Troy did this weekend. You can't do what South Alabama did this weekend. And there are opportunities for that to happen. So, I agree. I think this could be a multi-bid league. It also could wind up being a one-bid league if the top four teams in the league don't take care of their business. Here was the benefit of Georgia Southern losing two of three this weekend, and there's hard to find much. But this was a matchup of two teams that came into the weekend top 50 in the RPI. Georgia Southern was floating around 15. Even losing two of three, they're still 19 because... One of the victories was on the road against the top 50 RPI. And now the Eagles become big Cajun fans. Cajuns are going to become big Eagle fans Thank you. for the rest of the season. Like with Mercer, Georgia Southern goes to Macon. They were 15-1. They were number 13 at that point. Dominated the game 1-8-3. Mercer is a 21-5 team at this point. It's still top 25. So they got to be a big Mercer fan outside of when they play the Eagles in Statesboro later on this year. So you never want to lose a series, but at the same time, if you've got two top 50 teams, in this case for the Eagles, being on the road, one of those wins still made sure that they would at least hold serve. Next weekend, you're on the road. Texas State is another top 50 RPI team. So even if you do lose the series, I hope that doesn't happen, but you've got to find a way to get at least one so you can keep yourself in at least that kind of position. According to the RPI, what was the record with the two teams this week? Georgia Southern won the series 1.3 wins to 1.2. By just taking the one game. By just taking the one game. And I think it's because you've had the top part of the Sunbelt Conference going for that at-large bid. Because there's so many times that somebody at the top of the league, like you talked about, the winner of the regular season, more often than not, is not the winner of the tournament. And in the last few years, it's been the winner of the tournament is it in the NCAA regionals. Yeah, and and when I when I look at what's happened the last few years, I really think what's hurt some of these teams in the Sun Belt is they've struggled in the midweek. They've been good on the weekends, but then they've struggled in midweek games. You know, Georgia Southern has done a very good job in midweek games. The Cajuns overall done a good job in midweek games. And the Cajuns now have, with the Georgia Southern series out of the way, the Cajuns still have six games against quad one teams. Because, and all six of them are on the road. If, if, if you split those, that's really good. And that's what you get to 
the top of this league is scheduling for an at-large bid. Whether you handle the schedule or not, that's yet to be decided. But you have to put yourself in a position, don't schedule the cupcakes. Don't schedule everybody that's going to give you a bunch of wins. Because at the end of the day, a bunch of wins doesn't mean anything if you're 202 in the RPI. You get games like Georgia Southern still has to go on the road to Texas State, on the road to South Alabama. Obviously, Georgia Southern didn't have anything to do with that scheduling. But you still have Kennesaw State coming in to J.I. Clement Stadium this week. They're a top 25 RPI team. You go on the road to Florida State. You think of Georgia Southern going to Tennessee. It didn't go the way that Georgia Southern wanted. But that still helps your RPI. That helps your strength of schedule because the RPI factors in what your opponents do. And Tennessee is yeah, kicking and, the crap and, out of everybody. And, yeah, <laughs> and, and when uh, when you play a team that's only lost one game, right? Uh, that, that doesn't that helps. That helps an awful lot. No, I'm. Um, you know, if the teams have got to continue to take care of their business, especially when you play lesser competition. Yeah. Okay. You know, the Cajuns still have two at Louisiana Tech, one at LSU, but they also have McNeese. They also have Nichols. You can't lose those games. You have to win those games. And then you have to steal what you can against the really good ones. But you're also right about you can't go out and play bad baseball teams at the beginning of the season. Now, Texas State really didn't play a great... Now, they've got midweek games, okay, because they can play Texas and Texas A&M, and they can play Baylor, and they can play TCU, okay? But their non-conference schedule early in the season was not great. Yeah. And that's why they're sitting there with a great record, but an RPI in the mid-30s. And that's what... It's interesting to me to see how everybody across the league schedules. Because it almost seems like you have two schools of thought. You have one that wants to schedule cupcakes, that, and I know this probably isn't a popular opinion, but you can get 35 wins with some team schedules and still be low hundreds, high 200s RPI, which that doesn't help you by any stretch of the imagination. No, I, you know, Wright Waters, and, this, and he was saying this about basketball, okay? But I think it holds true for baseball, too. If you think you're going to be good, you should schedule hard, and then you have to win. Yeah. If you think you're not going to be good, you have to schedule easy, and then you have to win. The problem you run into is sometimes you schedule easy and you don't win. You know, If you're going to play 20 games against quad three and four competition, or, 20, or 30 games in three, four competition... You better win 20 to 25 of them if yeah. you're going to be good. Um, so, you know, you can't do what your buddy did last year, you know, playing 16 games in a row on the road all against Power 5 teams, right. all right, because you didn't have a chance to compete with the team that you had. But could he have done that this year? Yeah, still probably not, but they'd have won more than the one or two that they won a year ago. Yeah. Well, how, how much is that, though, that breaks a team also? When you're playing all those games on the road, I mean, how much does that break your team? Even if they're no. good, it depends on how many of them you can pull out. Yeah, I mean, you keep losing them though. You probably oh, is, is this but, for but us? You, or? But you guys played three against Tennessee, and at, after you played those three games, I questioned how good you were. And you and I talked about it, but at the same time, I had no idea what Tennessee was. My argument is, I'm glad that happened there, yeah. and not now. Well. Okay, if you lose thirty-three to three now, halfway through the season, 
That's not good. Well, and that's kind of my point with Troy. Troy played four games to open the season against Columbia. That's something that they do almost every year. I know, they do. And that's what gets me. It was Holy Cross. You sure? Okay. Yeah, because Columbia's got like a top 30 IPI. They've done it before against Youngstown State. But but, but, but whoever they play, they they play a nobody the previous year. And and they put up gaudy numbers. And and we talk about, you know, oh, this guy's hit 47 home runs in three games and all that, you know, which I know I'm exaggerating because I've been drinking. And I would exaggerate if I wasn't drinking, so screw you guys. But no, but my point being is, we lost three to Troy. But at the same time, it was on the road, and I don't think this team responds in the same way against South Alabama and then Georgia Southern coming in. Because let's say we go to Troy and sweep. Maybe it's too easy, or we win two out of three. Don't get me wrong, I want to win every game. But I think that kicked them in the nuts. Am I wrong? No, you could be absolutely right. And by the way, it was Holy Cross, and it was 44-8 to eight in the four okay. games. Over the course Sorry. of Thank you. what is roughly a 60-game baseball season, let's just go ahead and include tournament play, you're going to get punched. You are going to get knocked down. In some cases, it might be a week or two week long stretch where you lose six of eight, seven of nine, whatever. Some teams, it might be just a game or two, but everybody gets punched during a baseball season. Hang on, respond. Hang exactly. on, figure it out. And, and that's what Rogue talked about. I'm sorry, I had another Rogue. That's something that you talked about, and I can't remember if it was on this podcast or if it was during the game. This was really the first time since Tennessee, and we, we need to stop talking about Tennessee because that was making me mad. But this is the first time that Georgia Southern has really been punched yeah. in Sunbelt Conference play. Now it's how do you respond. I think back to last year when Georgia Southern took a massive gut punch. You go to Elon in one of the two non-conference weekends that Georgia Southern had last year. You lose two out of three to an Elon team. And we were questioning a lot on that right back from Alamance County. That was at the end of May. That wasn't in the middle of the season. No, I remember that. That was the last week of the regular season. So you're thinking, okay, this team was in a regional hunt. They were in an at-large hunt. They were top 50 RPI going into that weekend. Drop two of those three? Is that a question? And it goes back to what Jay said. If you're going to stay in the at-large hunt, it's not necessarily. It helps what you do against quad one opponents, but you have to take care of business and when then, you're playing the quad three and four opponents. That's even more important than handling your business against quad one. Make sure there's a zero on the other side of that dash when you're playing teams that are that much lower than you are. You need to make sure that games have a purpose, I guess. And as long as you're taking care of business when it's your purpose, do it. Uh, I don't. It, it just. I just find the whole scheduling thing very interesting. We're very lucky in Louisiana with LSU, Northwestern State, Louisiana Tech, uh, uh, Southeastern, McNeese. Now, are are they great ball clubs? That if they don't win the if they win if they don't win the Southland, are they going to get in that large bid? Probably not. But they're also not. In that low well, RPI. Well, actually, I, I'm, I'm going to have to partially disagree. Well, this, because look, Nichols, yeah, McNeese, Northwestern State, all of them have an RPI of 200 or worse. But but, it, but is that normal though? Yes. Okay. Yes, McNeese, especially because McNeese schedules very very soft. They played Louisiana Tech three, okay, but that's been it. 
those schools don't have great RPIs, but guess what? They're good enough to beat you. And when you lose to them, that's not a good thing. Now, you know, Southeastern is a team that, you know, has run into some, some tough times, but they play a ridiculous schedule, a ridiculously yeah. hard schedule. And so if you do lose to them, it's not the end of the world. But if you're going to play Northwestern State, who's got an RPI, I think, lower than 250. Okay. Um, McNeese, who's about 220. Uh, Nichols, who's in the, 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 low, the lower 100s, I guess. You better win those games because losing those games hurts you, especially if you lose at home. I, I didn't realize that, and so I stand corrected. For the first time in my life, Jay, I've been wrong when talking about something. It's a very big person of you to admit that. I know. No, but no, you're right about Louisiana Tech. Yeah. You're right about LSU. And traditionally, you're right about Southeastern also. And I love the fact, I mean, I, I know we played Louisiana Tech twice at home last year, but I love the fact that we're playing twice up there. And I love the fact that I never understood the scheduling them on a Tuesday night and then coming back home and then a day later driving back up there, you know, to Arkansas State that we played this year. Why didn't we play them on a Wednesday and just continue up there? But that's a whole different story. Well, it's because most coaches, if you're only going to play one midweekend, yeah. they don't want to play on Wednesday because you're going to burn right. pitchers that you could use on the weekend. No, I, I, I get it. And, and I know there's all, there's all kind of things that uh, I need to uh, take into effect. And you know, My point being is, both for Georgia Southern fans and Cajun fans, it's not the end of the world at this, at, at this time. It wasn't the end of the world two weeks ago when, we, when Troy swept us. It sure looked like it. Wasn't the end of the world, but you could see it from there. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Great discussion. Love that. But let's move on to, um, I want to talk about some of the defense that we've seen this year and, uh, and everything. Listen to what we're talking tonight. Craig Molas on Danny Reed, Colin Lacey, Jay Walker. The defense. You, we, we talked about your guy that, that's a third that, my understanding was he was a natural shortstop at mm -hmm. one time. I got injured, moved there. Yep. But your shortstop is a hell of a guy too. Yeah. We got DeBarge. We got the guy from Coastal Carolina. Uh, there, there's another one I know that's a freshman around the league too. I believe that's it. Shortstop. If I, if I'm probably wrong with that. But have we seen some pretty good? I mean, or or pretty good defense at the at shortstop? Or is that a position that I know there there are teams? I won't mention their names. That recruit, that recruit six shortstops and then say, okay, well, now you're going to move to second base, you're going to move to third, you're going to move to outfield. <laughs> it's funny you bring it up because Georgia Southern probably has four or five shortstops playing defense. Oh, three, of the, three of the four on the infield are former shortstops. Jared Brown at third, played shortstop in high school and summer ball. Thompson has been a shortstop his entire career. Jesse Sherrill was a shortstop in high school and a shortstop in junior college at Gordon State up near Atlanta. Transferred to Kennesaw, made the move to second base, and now he's off to a fine start so far halfway through the season. But I think that what we're seeing defensively is a product of this being a middle league and it being chock full of so much veteran talent. You're older in college athletics now than you ever have been because you are still factoring in the COVID waiver year. So you see fourth, fifth, sixth, even in some cases, seventh and eighth year guys yeah. that are still able to play. You cannot buy. You cannot imagine how much that experience means. For somebody like Austin Thompson, who is a five-year starter at shortstop, how much extra practice, how many more game reps has he had taking a routine ground ball? He could probably do it 
sleeping, with his eyes closed, laying down. He's just done it so much that it just becomes second nature. If one checks up on him, okay, because it's going to happen at some point over a long season. But in this league where guys aren't leaving all that often after their third year, they're taking advantage of the extra year, the waiver year, and you're seeing that older leagues play the game a certain way. And they play it in a much better way. And a lot of that has to do with basketball, too. Because I think that if you could find a team that has a lot of older guards that can get into the postseason, I'll take a league with a team like that over a high major team that's full of talent and freshmen. Because I want experience over talent. Because I think, ultimately, experience can beat talent because they play a way that they know they can instead of just trying to out-athlete you. And we saw that with Kentucky with the one-and-dones that had you know you know four or five freshmen starting yeah. at the time. You know, what's a little bit of a surprise this year is is the, the shortstop, the Louisiana boy who plays shortstop for Coastal Carolina. He's got 11 errors already this year. Elrich Figueroa, who's the leading hitter at Little Rock, leads the league in errors. He's their shortstop. He's made 14. So, you know, it's... Teams I haven't seen, so that's why I was asking. Yeah, they're, they're, you know, I, I, if you look, I'm just, you just look at fielding percentages... Sunbelt teams don't have great fielding percentages this year. No. You know, you've got, you know, Georgia Southern came in leading the league, but I think you only had three teams that were fielding 970 or better coming into the weekend. And and that's down from what this league usually is as far as defense defensive percentages. And concern. I think what you're seeing, for whatever reason, and – there's a lot of theories on what travel ball has done to college baseball, and we're not going to get into that because we ain't got that kind of time. No. But Or that much whiskey. <laughs> no, we do have that much whiskey. Well, I don't no, know. No, we definitely have that much whiskey. <laughs> but you see guys that can flash the leather. They can make the diving stop in the hole. They can make the diving stop up the middle. But a ground ball right at them, when they have enough time to think, that's when you boot it. It makes zero sense when you look at it from the 100,000-foot view, but the routine play isn't as routine as it should be because you're more worried about trying to make that diving play that's going to end you up on SportsCenter. Well, I'll tell you, and Coach Rope talked about this, and I didn't realize it until I heard him talk about it, and this is our only our 14th Coach Rope uh, uh, reference tonight, but... When the guy is, when the ball is coming straight at him, it, there's no depth perception there. That's why you see guys, and you think, you think, I say, when I say you, not you, but the average fan thinks when a guy kind of rounds around the ball and, and, and grabs it out of his glove and throws it, that he's trying to hot dog it. But there's no depth perception of the ball coming at you there. So I don't know how much of that plays into when you're when you're looking. You've got to have the ball away from you on one side or the other. No one else is saying anything, guys. I'm the idiot in the room. No, but no. Okay, I I, I just saw, I saw some great shortstop this weekend and some great plays. In well, short. you know, I think that that every weekend you've got a chance to see some great plays. But I'm just talking about the league as a whole, and mm-hmm. and and I haven't seen everybody. And all I'm doing is looking at fielding percentage. I think you had three teams fielding 970 or better last year. South Alabama fielded 982. And they're year in, year out, the best defensive team in the league. And this, and this year they're not. So far, no, but, but, no, but they, they came into our series against South Alabama. They came in the top of the league. But they but they didn't have the fielding percentage that they traditionally have. Yeah. And that's why I'm saying even no. at the top it's not been scintillating. 
And okay. you've, you've got Montiel back, you've got Tissue back, and for that experience on the left of the infield, for guys that have seen a lot of reps, that's that's something that troubles me a little bit because while they have become more of a pitching and defense team as opposed to the offensive slugger teams that Calvi had his first few years, for them to be a little bit down the list defensively, that's a little bit off-putting. Oh, I, I agree. I mean, but I, I would be interesting, and this, this might take way too much time for me to do, but... I, I'd be interested to know where the errors are coming from. If it, if it's an outfield thing, if it's an infield thing, if it's a second base. I mean, statistically. I mean, I like numbers though, I, and I and I like stupid numbers. That's a stupid number that probably doesn't matter because the same. If you're making an error, you're making an error. And how many runs have scored off? You know, I think a lot of it is tough to quantify because guys are cross training and playing so many different positions. So for guys that are playing multiple spots, like a Christian Avan who could play right field, and he's not going to catch very much, but he can. For a Jared Brown that could play everywhere, a Jesse Sherrill that could play everywhere, you have multiple outfielders. I'd be curious to know, for guys that play multiple spots, where they have their troubles. For catchers, how many pass balls do you have? That's not an error, but it basically is is because you're giving up a base without it being an error. And that's even like with Louisiana on Friday, when you had Robertson in center field for the Cajuns. I was going through putting my stuff in the book before the game, and I saw four errors, I think it was, in center field. I'm like, a center fielder with four errors? Yeah. And then I saw it was Robertson. I'm like, oh, he plays third base. normally a third baseman. And so you've got so many different guys, and you don't know where the errors come from. And that's a great point, because you'd have to go through game by game to say, okay, it, did this guy start in left field all the time? Did he yeah. start at shortstop all that? Or did he play left field one game, right field the next? Then was he playing at third? So where, where do you... How far do you want to dig? You get down this rabbit hole that all of a sudden you've gone, after you get all your statistics done, you've got a whole nother four games of statistics that just blew whatever you were looking at. The assumptions you can make about defense a lot is that your shortstop is going to have the most errors because they handle the most plays. That's simply a volume thing. Your first baseman and your catcher are going to have the most putouts because they're handling ground balls and they're handling strikeouts. If your third baseman, your second baseman, your first baseman, and your outfielders all have a number of errors that seems a little bit eye-popping, expect it from your shortstop just because they're going to see the most ground balls. Right-handers hit pull side more often than anybody else. But for the other positions, if those seem to be a little bit high, then you may have found something. I'm, I'm just looking at the fielding percentages in the league. Georgia Southern is still number one at 976. South Alabama is 972. Louisiana is 971. Troy is 970. That's it. Those are the only four schools fielding that. Everybody else is between 960 and 967, except for Arkansas State, who's last at 953. I can't imagine why they're 0 9 in the league. Well, because they're last in fielding and last in pitching. Yeah. And this might be a little bit silly, but. The change from grass to turf could have a little bit to do with it because there are a number of teams in this league that do have artificial as opposed to the natural surface. So going back and forth, it might be a little bit. I don't know if it's much, but that could be something that's knocking the numbers around. Georgia Southern, Arkansas State, Texas State. Who else has grass? I mean, South Alabama. Mobile. Mobile. South Alabama. Okay. All right. And, so, and, and I wondered that going into the game in Mobile – uh, the, the the conference tournament in Mobile last year, I, that, that was, was one in of, Montgomery. That one too in Montgomery. <laughs> All right, maybe I need another drink, but no. But Montgomery, I was wondering if that was going to affect. And I I don't think I did not see the errors that I thought I would because of the hops and everything. 
but at the same time, a team that won the tournament played on grass. And you're also playing at a minor league facility that has a professional grounds crew. Well, that's true, too. So it's funny because I talked to uh, I talked to somebody. I'll say I don't want to pull up his name because it was off air and and about about the series. And they thought our mound was a little high. And I said I, I said I don't know if it's still the same thing. I said, but Coach Robe, the the guy came in three times a year to make sure our mound was perfect height and the bullpens too. And they felt that our mound was a little high when South Alabama was here. And, and throwing on it was a little different. So, And I know just being around practice on Thursday nights when Georgia Southern goes on the road, already been to App where it's a all-turf facility, been down here to Lafayette where everything except for the mound is a turf facility. Everybody talks about how fast the ball comes off the turf. And you would think, yes, you get the true hops. Yes, you don't have the balls kick off a pebble or a blade of grass or whatever. But it's a lot faster when the ball gets on you. And so – it's not necessarily easier to field on a turf facility, especially when you haven't done it all season long. And the only time that Georgia Southern will see a full natural facility is when they go to Mobile in a couple of weeks. You know, it's funny you bring that up because uh, I think at the beginning of the season, the Cajuns got robbed by a couple of months. I mean, when I say robbed, that they, they spun foul that would not have gone foul on, on, a, on a grass field. So, all right, lastly, what I want to talk about is, uh, is is it because of COVID that we're seeing more guys come out of the bullpen to start? I mean, I mean, you got Brandon Talley, that, that, that was our closer last year, now the starting pitcher. You know, you talked about your guy that, I mean, is, is you think that's because of COVID or just something as it progresses? Dave, I, Jay? I, I just think what happens is sometimes as pitchers mature, they get to the point where they become your best arm. And one of the things that I think you see, if you've got a pitching staff that sometimes struggles to throw strikes, and you've got guys in the bullpen who traditionally are strike throwers, and I think that's what you've seen with the Cajuns, your two best relievers are now your Friday and Saturday starters because they throw strikes. They're not going to walk a lot of people. Um, you know, I don't know uh, what it is with uh, with Tanner King, why he's become their Friday night guy when he was one of their closers uh, a year ago. Um, but but I do think that coaches are sitting there saying, you know what, the guy at the back end of the bullpen isn't going to help me if the front end guys are walking people and giving up runs. Yeah. And so I think those teams, and I think the Cajuns have been one of them, have gone ahead and said, okay. We're going to take our two guys and we're going to put them in the front. And then we'll worry about the back at the back. Danny? The way that I would look at it, if you're getting a guy from high school, you don't get a guy who's a reliever in high school. There are very few relievers in high school. Guys start, they get the ball, they go as long as they can, they rack up their ERA, their strikeout totals, their low walks, and then you figure out where to put them once they're in college. Now, if it's junior college, it's different because they have a little bit more experience at the collegiate level, so you can figure, okay, is this a midweek guy, is this a weekend guy, or can they get you saves? Like a tally, eight saves last year, but now the number one starter but he started at Grayson. So it's something that he's done before. It's not throwing him into the fire and saying, hey, go get me 15 outs when this is something that you maybe haven't done before. He didn't pitch at Grayson. 
He was a first baseman. Just he hit he okay. hit 32 bombs in junior college. Didn't pitch at all. We brought him here to be a hitter. Yeah. And he's turned out to be an outstanding pitcher for us. So wipe that segment, <laughs> that part entirely <laughs> But to that point. But I like the way you think, though. To, to that do. point, though. Okay, you could use that case for a Wilson, who did pitch at Grayson. <clears throat> yes. But at, the, but, but at the same time, Tally pitched in high school, started in high school. I get what you're saying there. He didn't, he didn't lose that mentality just because he was a hitter. Yeah. For, for two years. And he was brought here as a hitter. But at the same time, one of the reasons that Coach Deggs really liked him, even as a hitter, is he, he, Coach Deggs likes a guy that he can, he can pull through the field and, and, and be able to pitch also. I'll liken it to Nick Jones last year. Led the country in saves with 17. You don't have starting pitching. It doesn't matter how good he is. You've got to get, you got to get him a lead late, so it matters. You've got to be able to have him close games because if he's coming in, you're down 12-4 to 4 in the eighth inning. He can strike out six guys. Who cares? And I think that's what the Cajun struggled early in the year is that our starting pitcher didn't go, go long enough. I mean, if they went long enough, they, we weren't providing the, uh, the support to them. Yeah. And I think you've seen a big change in the pitching philosophy in the college game the last few years, too, of – yeah, it's nice if your starter goes five, six, seven innings, but that's not necessarily a full necessity. You want your best guys to get you off to a good start, whether it's three, four, and then they're going to work into getting you to the fifth, into the sixth, later on in the season. You've just got to get, at, especially at the beginning of the season, you've just got to get your best guys to start the game for you and then piece it down from there because, like you two have talked about, you can have the greatest guy in the world in the back end, but if you get it to him with a 16-4 to 4 deficit, he's not going to help you out very much. So you've got to have your best guys start the game for you. And if they go three, it's not what you want. But they're going to work into being able to get you to the fifth, to the sixth, to the seventh when it really matters. Well, it was a fun weekend of baseball. The Cajuns came out on top. But at the same time, I enjoyed watching baseball. And that was, that was uh, baseball and the guys... Uh, Sometimes mistakes are made, so that's all I'm going to say right now. But let's wrap it up. Colin, any, any last words of wisdom before we move on? I'm not going to go into next week's schedule because uh, it, it's a long ways away. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll talk later on about that. Uh, but th this weekend was, was good baseball for the most part. No, I mean, it was great baseball, as we talked about, a great environment for Georgia Southern to be able to experience, and I think it only helps – Georgia Southern going down the backstretch. I know it was a blast for us to be able to hang out with the Cajun Cooking Club. Brad and Marla took care of us as always. Fantastic. Appreciate you guys for having us over here. And uh, it was a fun weekend to be able to catch up with y'all. Danny. Most of the guys on this team have only been here once. They've never experienced a series here, though going back to 2017. So to be able to come here and play a series that wasn't a conference tournament is something that they will remember. And from the standpoint of the two schools that are represented here, both on the road this week, and as we've covered more than enough tonight, you got to earn your keep on the road regardless of who your opponent is. We're going to play Texas State, a team that's going to be ranked by the time next week rolls around. For you guys, it's an Arkansas State team that's 0-9 in league play. But as Jay has brought up numerous times, you better win these games, yeah. regardless of whether they're at Teague Moore or whether they're in Jonesboro or San Marcos or wherever else. Jay? We're still only three weeks into conference play. And 
I still don't know, outside of the fact that we believe that Texas State's good, I don't know how much we've learned about ourselves. I, I, I really don't. Um, and I think it's probably going to be in another three weeks. I'll bet you if we sat here three three weeks from now and did this again, we'd be saying a lot different stuff than we're saying right now. Oh, I'm in. Yeah. yeah. And we can do that. I mean, we'll definitely. But let me ask you this, though. And this is a Cajun. How important is Louisiana Tech versus Arkansas State? Is there a difference? Well, I will say this. If you go to Ruston and you win, that helps you as much as going to Arkansas State and losing hurts you. Okay. All right? I mean, look. Yeah. All games are important. Right. I agree. But at the end of the year, they're going to look at your RPI and they're going to look especially what you've done against quad one and quad two teams. And the better your record there, the better your chance for an at-large bid. And Louisiana Tech is a quad one team. And if you go up there and win, you have strengthened your re Even if you split, you've strengthened your resume. Because you're going to get another quad one win. Um, the only thing that you can do by going to Arkansas State is, getting, is get hurt. Because if you win all three games... All right, and we saw Coastal Carolina win all three games. They based, their RPI is basically a wash from last week. Basically a wash. And so you go up there, you win all three. You haven't really gained anything as far as your resume is concerned. And that's why I say beating Louisiana Tech helps you, is, is it as impactful as losing to Arkansas State is. It's interesting that the two teams, because Louisiana Tech Stadium wasn't ready last year, I think it helps the Cajuns in the fact that we played them twice at home last year when nobody was in the stands and that we're going this year, that we have the opportunity. It's a better opportunity for the Cajuns playing two games up there, I guess, is my point. Well, the, the opportunity is better, but it's also going to be more difficult. Oh, I agree. Totally, totally, totally. Guys, we need to do this more often. I know it's not its not easy for the four of us well, look, on a Sunday night. And look, there's nothing wrong. Look, they got to go to Texas State next week. Yeah. Okay? On the way back, you stop here. You yeah. spend a couple days. <laughs> we record these things. All right? This is going to be easy. We go to, we go to Georgia State. Get, get your ass over to Atlanta. And then we'll stop yeah. in Statesboro. And we'll record something there. I'm uh, driving to Atlanta. So I so can there go to Statesboro. So there it's you only are. three and a half more hours. So but the point, I, I know it's very hard because we never seem to be at home at the same time to where we could say, okay, hey, it's Sunday night good for you guys. And I know, uh, and probably Danny's the big, the busiest out of all of us. You know, it's, it pains me to say because he's got me up at freaking 7 a.m. on Monday mornings recording this thing normally. So on that note, I'm leaving. Goodbye. So, but no, but <laughs> let's do it again soon. And if we have to do it on a, a Monday or Tuesday night when, when we're off, uh, Jay, safe travels to uh, uh, Tech and to Arkansas State. Uh, you guys have anybody midweek? This coming week? Yeah. We will have Kennesaw State at home this Wednesday, and then we leave Thursday. Okay. 
But Kennesaw State's number 14 in the RPI. So I was going to say. That's a pretty solid game. You guys play Kennesaw State and Mercer. It's pretty good too, huh? Mercer comes to Statesboro. We get Kennesaw at home twice. Do not have to go there because they didn't come to Statesboro last year because of COVID. Thank there you go. goodness. There you go. Same thing. So, well, hey, safe travels to Texas State. You'll you'll enjoy it there. If you get a chance, go a, a little uh, northwest up to the Salt Lake, to the original Salt Lake, not to the one in Round Rock. Round, one in Round Rock is fine. But the the one that's northwest is in uh, uh, it's southwest of Austin. Uh, we've been there, and, and the grill's been there for probably a hundred years, and, and the meat is excellent. So cash hey, only. Yes, cash only. Cash but, only. That's but you can bring your ice chest of beer, and they don't sell alcohol there. Okay. You can bring your ice chest in there, and, and it's excellent. And I don't know; they still may have blackberry collar. They still there. do, and it's and it's still yeah. The one in Round Rock doesn't. Yeah, they did. No, they told us that they stopped. Well, they must have stopped because we ate it. Yeah. <laughs> when, we played, they, when we played Texas, they had No. They told us, ask Brad and ask, ask uh, Sully. I think they just lied to you. No, I no they told us they stopped. No, because, because uh, Blackberries had went up. Oh. Oh, okay. And, they, and it was but, we ate it, but we ate it last yeah. fall. Yeah. So, hey, for Craig Malasa, Danny Reed, Colin Lacey, Jay Walker, You've been listening to We're Talking. Thank you very much, and hopefully uh, I don't need to go to an intervention tomorrow. Any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited, except, ah, who the hell are we kidding? Distribute it, share it, put it in your podcast, broadcast it, or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due.